Read with me, if you will, the introduction. Second Thessalonians was written by Paul to the church to address the false teachers that had come into Thessalonica and were teaching that the day of the Lord had already come to pass. Paul wrote that two things must take place before the day of the Lord took place. There were false teachers in that day. How many of you would say and agree with me that there are false teachers today? They're smooth. They're convincing. And they are deceptive. And they are sheep, or wolves rather, in sheep's clothing. If there's anything I want us to understand, in the last days, there is going to be a lot of deceiving. Not only of the people of the world, but God's people. But Paul here, right into this young church, it was a very young church. I think he wrote the second Thessalonians, the second book, about a year after he wrote Thessalonians 1. But he felt very strong that he needed to reassert himself in the principles and the truths that he had first of all taught them. I feel that way sometimes. I teach and I I just wonder if people are listening. And I, I just want to make it more fervent and I want to teach it with passion. So I want to write the second book after I preach the first sermon. I want to write the second sermon and preach the second sermon. Because I want you to get it. This is life and death. It's more important than buying a home, an automobile, marrying an individual. It's more important than having children. It's the most important thing in the world, and that is God's Word. And so Paul, right into this young church, he says to them, he said, there are two things that must take place. I love this. First of all, there must come a falling away apostasy. I want to get into that word in just a moment. The second thing must be that the son of man, or rather, I'm sorry, the the, the man of sin must be revealed. The man of wickedness. The Antichrist. In light of all that would happen, Paul encouraged them to stand firm. What I want to get across today And what I want to challenge you and I is to not only stand firm, but to be strong because we're living in the last days. And the devil, Satan, will throw everything he can at you as a believer to try to get you to deny Jesus Christ or just simply to walk away or to simply not care or to simply sit sit back and Take your ease. And so what I want to do today is to urge us, exhort us to be a people that choose to stand firm. Paul exhorted the church to be steadfast because, first of all, of the current persecution they were going through. Let's see what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, 
from the beginning chose you for salvation through what? Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Those two things. One of the things that Jesus Christ rejoiced over was the simplicity of the Word of God. So many people try to make it hard. Try to make understanding the Word of God hard. But if we come, approach the Word of God with reverence and study it like we should study the Word of God, we find that it's so simple. And these two things he speaks of here in this text, not only sanctification by the Spirit, but also belief in the truth, verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining, obtaining of what? Of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer, it's to obtain the glory of the Lord, God Almighty, the God that created all things. You walk out into the night and you see the beautiful moon. You see all the stars. You see the sun and all of the universe that God has created. And you think, hey, we're going to be partakers of that very glory. Wow, God shares that with with human beings. Though we are what we are and though we were created in sin and changed, metamorphosed, transformed by the very power of God, he takes us and he shares that glory. 15 says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold The traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Paul says, I want you to hold on to something. And I'll get get to that in just a moment. But he says here, I want you to hold on to what I taught you when I was with you. And what I've written to you in my letter. He wrote a letter to them. He said, I want you to hold on to what I taught you and hold on to what I have written to you. That's the reason I give out... The outline. Hold on to it. Hold on to your Bible. Not just the Bible, but what's in those pages. Hold on to it. Paul says this steadfast because of the current persecution they were going through. Verse 1. Verse 4. Chapter 1 of, of Thessalonians. That we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. They were enduring a large and much amount of tribulation and persecution. Are you facing that? There's not a one that serves God today that don't face persecution. Not to the extent that the early church did. But whether you're in school, whether at a place of business, no matter where you are, maybe in your own immediate family, but no matter where you are, if you let your light shine and you talk about Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. If they did it to the green tree, the Bible says, they'll do it to the dry tree. If they did it to Jesus, they will do it to you. We are to maintain perseverance and faith in the 
face of persecution. You and I are to be examples. And our lives are to be commendable. That we serve God even in the face. And that's what he was telling this early church. He exhorted them to be steadfast not only because of the persecution, but because of the coming judgment upon the world. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you can just serve the Lord. And if you don't serve God, it'll ever be all right. If you don't serve God, live for God, it won't be all right. If you don't accept Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Now, I know we don't say that today, and I know we refrain from being harsh. But there is judgment coming upon the disobedient. Not only because of the persecution, not only because of the judgment, because of the coming apostasy. Now, I want to read this amplified, if you will. Now, don't let your mind wander with this. Because I'm going to read it with the Amplified. And I know it's wordy. But it is so important that we understand what God is saying here. And he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Now in regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to meet him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly unsettled or alarmed either by a so-called prophetic revelation of a spirit or message or a letter alleged to be from us. Word got out that, 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 that Paul had sent a letter he had not even sent. And they were trying to confuse and discourage these new believers from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. It is not come. And it's foolish to try to set the time when he will come. Now we can know the, the season, but not the day or the hour. Amen? Let no one in any way deceive or entrap you, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That is the great rebellion and abandonment of the faith by, prof, by professed Christians. Let me say something about apostasy. It's not just a falling away. It is not just a backsliding or removing oneself from the truths of God's word. I, I wrote here something that, uh, that, that is on your paper. In the last days there will be a great uprising and rebellion against God. They not only did not receive God, but they rejected God and they rebelled against God. Listen, if we don't receive God, if man, and this is what's happened in our culture today. It's not that the people, that the world has not received God, but they not, have not only did not or do not receive God, but they have rejected God. And make no mistake about it, once a person fails to receive the word, once they've heard it, and then they reject the word, 
it turns into something awful, and that is rebellion. They don't want anything to do with God's Word. It makes them angry. It's like scraping your fingernails across a blackboard or chalkboard. We don't want to hear it. We were building our house on Talcott Drive, and it was a three-story house. And the guys were there framing the top of it, and they had the radio going. And it was a secular station. And to the day, I don't know why they did this, but something came on that station, and they were blasting out. Something came on that station, and it was, it was, it was a, something about Jesus Christ or the gospel or, or something about church. Something religious, Christi, Christianity, about Christianity. I'm being truthful. The young man that was on the top frame in that building almost hurt himself getting down to turn that radio off because he didn't want to hear anything about it. I laughed. I mean, it was amazing to me. People not only refuse to receive, but then they reject and then it turns into rebellion. You know, if atheists and agnostics and those that are against Christianity, if you don't want it, leave us alone. Leave our Ten Commandments alone. Leave us serving God alone. But they won't do that. They rebel against God and try to stop the believer from serving God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They want nothing to do with the light. Like a house I would go into years ago, and houses back then had roaches. When I say roaches, I mean plural. A lot of roaches. And if the light was out quite some time, you could walk into the kitchen, turn on the light, and it looked like the countertop was moving. They didn't like the light. And that's the way it is when you live for the Lord and you let your light shine. They don't like the light. God desires that we allow ourselves to let our light so shine before the Lord. And the man of lawlessness, talking about, is revealed. And the son of destruction, the Antichrist, the one who is destined. I love this. The one who is destined to be destroyed. Let me tell you. I believe that Jesus is soon coming. I believe and I know the word rapture is not in the Bible. But caught up is in the Bible. And if you translate it in the Greek. It is the rapture of the church. The next thing on the agenda. For God and the church. Is the catching away of the bride of Christ. Once that happens, once the saints of God are gone, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I know some churches that's going to get up before other churches are. Said the dead in the dead physically in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive shall be caught up together with them, with the Lord in the air, and forever and ever and ever we will be with the Lord. Once that takes place, there will be seven years of tribulation. The first three years is going to be what is called the tribulation. The last three years, uh, or three and a half years, is going to be the great tribulation. It's during those seven years that the, that the man of sin, that the Antichrist, which, is, which rebels against God, is going to be revealed. After the first three and oh, he's going to come on the scene and he is going to sway people. Everybody's going to think he's going to solve all the problems of the world. We're no longer going to owe right at $20 trillion worth of uh, money and, and be in debt. And he's going to come and he's going to... But after the first three and a half years, he is going to expose himself, go to the very temple of God in Jerusalem desecrate that temple and the world the earth has never seen a time like there will be and that is called the great tribulation he will be revealed he will perform miracles people all over the world will follow him i don't have time to get into the last days prophetic words concerning what will happen but let me tell you what's going to happen to him that old boy is going to be destroyed and if, if people follow him, they will be destroyed along with him. But the Bible says that the Antichrist, the one who is destined to be destroyed, who opposes and exalts himself so proudly, so insolently, above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he, he, the Antichrist, actually enters and takes his seat in the temple of God, publicly proclaiming that he himself is God. I like what David Jeremiah said. You know how God's going to get rid of the devil, the Antichrist? I mean, he's out there flexing his muscles and he's out there performing all these miracles and people are going to be following him and bowing down at him and Jesus Christ is going to come riding on the white horse and just blow him away. You believe that stuff? Mm-hmm. I believe it's going Because God's word says it's going to happen. And you can't find anywhere from Genesis to Revelation where there was prophecy in the Bible and they've been by the hundreds that did not come to pass. And so if they can to pass, I sort of believe what's going to be prophesied is going to come to pass. And you know what restrains him. No, rather, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now from being revealed? It is... So that he will be revealed at his own appointed time. For the mystery, and listen to this. There's been much discussion on who's restraining the enemy, the Antichrist from coming. Some believe it's the church. Some believe it's the Holy Spirit. I believe it's, it's the Holy Spirit, but when the church is gone, there's going to be no restraint. Can you imagine, can you imagine if every believer, every Christian was taken out of this world, what kind of world this would be? 
I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. For the mystery of lawlessness, there it is, rebellion against the divine authority and the coming reign of, of, coming reign of lawlessness is already at work. I can believe that. Amen. But it is restrained only until he who now restrains it is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the appearance of his coming. Let's shout a little bit. Amen. Let's clap our hands a little bit. It's coming. The coming of the Antichrist, the lawless one, is through the activity of Satan. Who's going to be behind all this stuff? The devil himself, Satan himself, attended with great power, all kinds of counterfeit miracles and deceptive signs and false wonders. All of them, what? Lies. Lies. All of them lies. Lies. L-I-E-S. And by unlimited seduction to evil and with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing because They did not welcome the love of the truth, of the gospel. So as to be saved that they were spiritually blind and rejected truth that they would have saved them. That would have saved them. Because of this, God will send upon them, now listen to this, a misleading influence, an active influence. Activity of error and deception so that they will believe the lie in order that all may be judged and condemned who did not believe the truth about their sin and the need for salvation through Christ, but instead took pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. It's going to happen, folks. And this is what Paul is writing to this young church. And he's telling them about the end time and about what's going to take place. And it's time for the church today... 2016, to sit up and take note because these things will happen. He told them about being steadfast not only because of the apostasy, but because of their destiny, the glory of God. What is your destiny? The whole, all the glory of God is going to shine down upon us. The believer shall behold the glory of God, but not only behold the glory of God, be, but be partakers of the glory of God. And then lastly, because of false teachers. Stand true. Because they're out there in the pulpits. They're out there where you work. They're out there where you go to school. They're out there on your radio. They're on your television. They're in your newspaper. False teachers teaching a false doctrine. And many are being led astray, being seduced and led astray. Paul exhorted the church to be steadfast. And I wrote, and I'm going quickly because my time is fastly going away. Some causes of apostasy, persecution. If you read Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 and 10, you'll find that because of persecution, many will go away from God. Because of we just gone over the false teachers and they're here today. Number three, because of worldliness. You know, it takes a continual vigilance not to enter into the world and be partakers. And I'm not talking about the world physically. I'm talking about the worldly system. You better be strong. And you better be determined. I'm not going to succumb to the temptation of 
the world. And not only that, some causes of, of apostasy, but forsaking worship and spiritual living. You know, we are to gather often as God's people together. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, read it with me. Again, amplified, not forsaken our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day. What is that? Christ's return approaching. It's important that we do that. Paul exhorted the church to steadfastness. Paul And we look at some causes of apostasy. Stand firm when you don't see a way out. Let me tell you a little story. And I'll probably end with this. As you look at the last one, you stand firm by keeping a strong grip on God's word. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Take this home this week and study it. You stand firm through the power of the Holy Spirit. I could say this every service. I could say it every service. Be fervent and study in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's important. Read 7. We also read 7 and 8. Let me tell you a story. The children of Israel are in bondage. And most of us know this great story in the Old Testament in Exodus. How that God spoke to Moses. And he and Joshua led the children of Israel out of a 400-year bondage. Someone said there was two and a half million people. Can you imagine having to pastor two and a half million people? Can you imagine having to put up with two and a half million people? Can you imagine being responsible for two and a half million people? But he was. After the plagues that came upon Pharaoh, he decided, hey, go. They left and they started marching. And they came to a place called the Red Sea. And they looked behind them and there was Pharaoh, his army, his chariots. And they were coming down upon these two and a half million people. The people panicked. They panicked. They didn't know what to do. And they looked at Moses and said, Moses, would to God you'd left us in Egypt. At least we could live. Today, we're going to die. Today, we're going to die. I love this story. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord... They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done or dwelt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that you, we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. That's where we are. Egypt is a type of of sin. Egypt is a type of bondage by Satan. And we're preaching the gospel of deliverance, a gospel of freedom, spiritual freedom. And we're telling you that you can be free. And for many, we 
find that they'll come to the church and they'll perhaps get saved. And then the enemy will come at them and they say, you know what? I believe I lived better when I was out of the church. I believe I fared better than when I was out of the church. Because we think because we come to Jesus Christ and we surrender our life to him that everything is going to be peaches and roses. Not so. But I'm here to tell you no matter what you face, God Almighty gives you the strength to face it. And for you that would say to me today, I just don't know about this Christian life and about this Christian way. Because if God was so and so, I wouldn't have to go through, would not have had to go through what I went through or go through what I'm going through. But I'm here to tell you what Moses told these two and a half million people. It starts in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Woo! Stand Steal and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Let me tell you something. The very thing that was an obstacle to these people became a way of deliverance. The very sea. S-E-A, the very sea that was before them, God Almighty caused to open up. Open up wide enough, dry enough, so two and a half million people could march across. You said, oh, but the Egyptians would have caught up with them. It takes a long time for two and a half million people to walk. I don't know how long it took, hours and hours and hours But the Pharaoh couldn't get to them. You know why? There was a whirlwind of fire between Pharaoh and the children of Israel. He couldn't get there. Not till the last one crossed. And then Pharaoh says, I got him now. And he and the horses and the army and the soldiers, all of them went into the sea. And all of a sudden, God let loose that water. And it came on them and drowned every one of them. I want to tell you something that in the very thing that you're struggling with, the very thing that the devil points to you and said is going to be your defeat can be a means whereby God can give you the victory. Stay true to him. Trust him. Look what I've got. Stand firm when you don't see a way out. Look at number one. Number one, listen to this. God is in control. Every step of Israel was ordered by the Lord. Number two, do not panic. Israel quickly embraced fear. What happens when something uh, negative happens in your life? Do you panic? When the doctor comes and gives you a, a negative report, what happens? When you say, I don't have any more money to pay my bills, what happens? What happens when your daughter or son is out all night and you don't know where they are? What happens? Have I ever panicked? Mm Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, we need not panic. We need not fear. We need to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Don't panic when trouble comes. Don't panic when the baby's sick. Don't get frustrated at God. Don't blame God if we're not careful. You know, 
It's so easy when something happens to blame God. Do not panic. Number three, live by faith. Live by faith. You say, how am I going to live by faith? Trust God. You say, how am I going to do that? I would encourage you to take this scripture. Verse 13 from Exodus chapter 14. Read it over and over. Put it on your your glass where you uh, put on your makeup or shave. Put it in the bathroom. Put it somewhere. Put it on the side of the, the, the refrigerator. And look at it often and hear God say to you, this is God saying to you, not just Moses. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Read it over and over. When the devil tries to overwhelm you with fear and doubt and unbelief, read it over and over. Think about Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. And hear the voice of God and saying, Don, stand still. Don't panic. Live by faith and watch God move. All those Egyptians fell in that judgment of God. Stand still. Be firm. I, I, just, I just hope you'll keep this outline. And when the enemy comes, say, I, I want to be firm. When trouble comes, when persecution comes, when we're facing, when we're facing tribulation, Brother Denny, you guys and gals, can you find, is, is, is the song in there, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Uh, Christy, I guess it's on, you can bring it up. Close your eyes with us, please. Close your eyes with us, please. Father, I don't believe one person is here by chance. Things just don't happen in our lives. God, I believe you orchestrate our, our steps. And I believe we're here to hear this word. I believe that we're here to read your text to us. You've texted us today, whether it's in Exodus, Thessalonians, whether it's in Matthew, whatever. You have spoken to us today. And Lord, that truth is just as real and current and contemporary as it was the day it was written. God, help our faith reach out to your word. Help us to rely and trust on the Holy Spirit. Lord, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is a person. May we be able to tap into the strength and the power, the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And may we trust you today. Should there be one family that's struggling in any area of their life. Maybe the devil is bombarding them with all kinds of doubts and fears. Maybe even to the point of disbelief. But God move in with your word. God snuggle up to us with your Holy Spirit. Refresh us in our hearts and in our lives and in our walk with you. Help us to trust you. Help us to put our faith in you. 
In Christ's name we pray.